to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St. George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr. Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr. Gail Crimmins, Dr. Saskia de Klerk and Dr. Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. Today on the 17th of March 2022, I'm speaking with Sue Williamson who's an Associate Professor of Human Resource Management in the School of Business at UNSW Canberra. Sue specializes in gender equality in the workplace and public sector human resource and industrial relations. Her recent research includes examining what the future of work might look like post-pandemic and how middle managers can progress gender equality. Sue has partnered with various state government and Australian government agencies on projects aimed at progressing workplace gender equality. Well, thank you, Sue, or I would say Associate Professor Sue Williamson. It's really a pleasure to have this chat with you today. You've done an amazing job in terms of looking and discovering different ways of, you know, hampering the challenges that women face in in their careers. So I might just start off, when you think about your own career and and the skills that you had to develop, do you have any thoughts around that? Yes. (laughs) Skills. Yes, that's, that's interesting because it took me a really long time to get started with my career. It took me a long time to find what I wanted to do. So it wasn't until I was almost 30 and then I started working for the state government and looking at women's issues and that was the moment I thought, this is me, this is what I want to do forever. And so skills just built up really, really incrementally and I was really fortunate to have great mentors all along the way, which I'm sure most women would say, you know, has been integral to to their career and career paths. I never planned very much. I had vague ideas of where I wanted to go, but I didn't actually have much of a long-term career plan and just ended up trying lots of different jobs, all within the gender equality space. And then after working in the public service for a really long time, decided to have a big change and move to academia. Yeah, and have just had really good opportunities and people looking out for me. So I've been really fortunate, which isn't really about skills. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I pick up the skills along the way. A lot of it just hasn't been planned. And one thing just leads to another. And at certain times I think people make 
strategic decisions. And so there's been points when I've thought, no, this isn't working, I've taken a wrong turn or I need to go somewhere else. And so it is a matter of risk-taking occasionally as well, which can be really hard for people. And I don't have um, caring responsibilities, and so it's been much easier for me to take those risks. But for other women who do, that can be much more challenging and much more fraught. But occasionally you just have to be brave and think, I'm going to change my path and do everything you can to plan for it and then make the leap. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that it's not a skill, but it is a bit of a skill to have that open mindset and a growth mindset. Yes. I think I get bored really easily. And I look at people who have stayed in the same job for a a really long time. And I've been in this job for almost 10 years, which is a a huge amount of time. You're a veteran. I'm a veteran. (laughs) I used to change jobs every two years in the public service because I get really bored. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, I look at people who are in the same job for a really long time and I I just think, how can you do it? And so it's natural curiosity about what else. What else? What other challenges are out there? What else can I learn about? So, yeah, so I'm really keen to to keep learning about stuff and so I keep changing. And even with this job where I've been for 10 years, there's always new projects, as you know, so there's always new challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important, though, that you had at least a sense of what really makes you tick, What's hap- what, what makes you happy. And to work in the gender equality space really resonated with you from the start and, and that's where you've built the rest of your career portfolio. Yes, I've been really lucky. When I was a young woman, I just thought there is no way that I could spend my life doing gender equality because the opportunities aren't going to be there. Where do you get a paid job looking at gender equality issues? And then, yes, found the public service who traditionally have done really good things in this space. And there's always policy development around women and work, which is great. And so, yeah, it was kind of a stroke of luck. And at the time when I was starting off in the public service, I had a mentor and she said, go off and become a union delegate. You'll find it interesting. And so I did that. And then that introduced me to the whole world of industrial relations which then became human resource management. And that's when I just thought, this is my area. And it all kind of just fitted together. So yes, it is about being open to suggestions from people and finding those opportunities and then just kind of going with it. Yeah. And I have been really lucky that I've been able to do something that I'm passionate about for you know, 30 plus years. Yeah. Gosh, that makes me sound really old. Never. <laughs> <laughs> There's always more work to be done in that space. So it's actually a great that you've been going for such a long time, you know, and, and just to keep up the good work um, because it's a good fight well, um, to fight. You know, yes, and, and occasionally I think, oh, okay, what's happening in gender equality? People are tired of hearing about this. There's only a few of us working. And then you get these big tsunamis like we've seen in the last couple of years. Yes. With Brittany Higgins and the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's reports and it is just front page news. Yeah. And so which is which is great as a researcher, 
But in terms of Australian society, we haven't come that far, you know, yeah. and lots of women will say this who've been working in this space for a long time. So when I look back at the struggles of the 80s, those issues are still there. We still don't have gender pay equity. There's still, yes. you know, harassment at work. So all those old perennial battles still haven't been won. Yeah. Yeah, so we need people like you to do all of this. And um, it's great that um, you also get support for this, not only in terms of grants and, and, you know, maybe financial support or at least incentives like getting time as, as part of your, your job to focus on this, but also emotional or social support. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I am lucky in that, yes, I can research this as part of my job. So that's what I research, so which is great. Yes, and then it does really help having a cohort of people and a network of women around Australia that I can bounce ideas off and we can progress stuff. And we also, well, we try and link in a bit with grassroots women's movements, so keeping abreast of what they're doing. And so people like Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins have done an amazing job in the last year or so. And so making sure that we're kind of in alignment really and there is that sense of a groundswell. And so you know that you're not just working by yourself in isolation, that there are all these other women and men working towards equality and diversity and inclusion as well in the broader sense. And so there is uh, lots of activity happening at the grassroots level, in academia, in the public service, within organisations. So, yeah, it's, it's a good space to be in. Yeah. And I guess that's important, you know, that it's not a one-woman job. It's um, a community that needs to uh, create this change. Yes, that's right. That's right. And and we see that through all women's marches that have been happening. And so it's women kind of keeping each other afloat. Because some of this can be difficult. Yeah. You know, and especially for the last year, lots of women have been traumatised. And before that, you know, with the equality, the marriage equality legislation, that debate was really traumatic for LGBTQI people. And so, yes, so it is really important to have those communities of people that can forge those bonds. Yeah. 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 And and I guess when... You look at your career at this stage, what's the major impact that you would like to, you know, if you have to have like a one sentence um, headline for your research in terms of the impact that you could reach up to this point, what, what would that look like? Oh, gee, that's a hard question. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um Impact, yes, and that's the thing about academia. How do we know we're having any impact? For me, the impact is in translating my research into findings that people can access. And so I write a lot for local media. So I focus on gender equality in the public sector and so I write a lot for the Mandarin especially and also the Canberra Times and occasionally the conversation, and that's really important. And so as well as doing media articles, I do a lot of outreach and speak with a a lot of organisations and give presentations. And so that's the impact really, is making sure that my research findings 
are going out to women and men in organisations and human resource managers to say, here's what's happening, here's what you can do to progress gender equality and diversity and inclusion in your workplace. And people have been really receptive to that, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the constant messaging and awareness campaigns and and really reinforcing with giving more information so that people can educate themselves and, and feel empowered themselves. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it is a constant um, reinforcement of messages. So when I'm talking about this stuff or writing another media article, I'm thinking, oh, I've said this before, but we know as one of kind of a marketing thing that you have to keep saying the same message over and over and people will only pick up little bits of it. Um, They might just read the first couple of paragraphs of an article They might just hear a minute of an interview on radio. So you have to keep saying the same thing. And then occasionally I will tweak it and take a slightly different angle just to nuance the discussion and bring some new evidence and arguments that people can start to talk about. So recently I've been, as well as looking at how people work from home during the pandemic and the future of work, which people are really interested in, I also did a big chunk of work around resistance to gender equality, which is a really interesting concept. And people have been looking at this for quite some time. But a a lot of people in society have gender fatigue and they're tired of talking about this. And I'm sure with all the conversations that have happened in the last 18 months, people are thinking, oh, are we still banging on about women's issues? It's like, yes, we are because they're not women's issues, they're community issues, and these problems haven't been solved. And so, yes, there is a need for that constant messaging and the conversation around gender fatigue was interesting, and so that got a bit of traction as well. And people hadn't really thought about that, that people are tired of talking about gender and how do you reinvigorate those conversations in workplaces, which is really important. Yeah. Do you think with your working from home research that gender equality again came up as one of those challenges that people face when they have to transition to a different workplace, which is in their personal space? Yes, yes. It's interesting. All the research, well, a lot of research shows that women did it really tough during the pandemic lockdowns and they were homeschooling kids, doing all the domestic responsibilities, the housework, all the rest of it. We have interviewed, we've surveyed over 10,000 public servants and we found very few gender differences. It's interesting. It is really interesting. So we found some differences with carers, carers, carers and women tended to work longer hours and also outside of the normal daily working hours. But apart from that, we didn't really find any gender differences, which is interesting. And we think that's probably because public servants may be more aware of gender equality. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's pure speculation. Yeah, but we didn't find a whole lot of differences between how men, women and non-binary people we're managing work and care during the pandemic. And and maybe also it's because public servants tend to be fairly well paid and so they can have better office setups. So they're not like, yeah, you know, a student or a retail worker, yeah. people who are forced to work in their homes from a desk 
stuck in the corner of their bedroom while looking after kids. No doubt some public servants did that, and especially younger public servants, we know that it's more difficult for younger women, especially found working from home difficult and the lack of um, connection with people. Yeah. But generally with public servants, I tend to think they'll probably have better resources which enable them to get through pandemic lockdowns more effectively than other a lot of other workers. It's very interesting. And I'm it's sure there's a lot of work to be done in that space because um, what will their new workplace look like? And like you said, the future of work might, you know, either be a hybrid or something completely different than what we can imagine. Yes, that's right. That's right. And hybrid working, global surveys have shown that people want to work hybridly and two or three days a week at home is the optimum for people. And survey after survey and big surveys are showing that. And so I think hybrid working is here to stay. And now we're starting to see the emergence of different forms of hybrid working. Do you do two or three days a week from home? Do you go to another remote working location? Do you just change your hours? So there's different configurations of hybrid working that are starting to emerge. And one of the interesting things about hybrid working is that men are saying they want to spend more time in the office than women do. And that can be a danger because if we get women staying home more, we know that if they're less visible in the workplace, they don't get such good opportunities. And so there is the possibility that newer forms, different forms of inequalities will emerge as we move towards hybrid working. Yeah, so it's all about finding that balance that's going to work for everybody. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. We also know that people with disabilities really appreciate working from home and it can help them manage their health and they want to stay working from home more than a lot of other people. And so there's, a, there's yeah, a risk as well that with people with disabilities being less visible, they'll also miss out on opportunities in the workplace. So there's all these things that need to be thought about as well as the physical workspaces. So yeah. it's really, you know, the pandemic has shaken up the way we work. Yeah. And that will keep you busy for the next 30 years, Sue. <laughs> it will. It will until I'm a very old woman. <laughs> Oh, no, that's good to hear. In terms of women's leadership, this project focuses on real women, you know, just your women that do what they do where they are, but also to think about leadership and how people can progress or women can especially progress into leadership. And when you think about women's leadership, what's some of the skills that you would use to describe a good um, leader? Oh, good leadership is being collaborative and empathetic. So, yes, inclusive leadership is really, really important. And so in my teaching space, I've been looking at inclusive leadership. And while we like to think a lot of leaders are inclusive, there are still many of them who take a command and control approach to leadership, a top-down approach. And we know that you don't get the best results in that way. And so inclusive leadership where people listen to each other, where they create safe spaces for people to be themselves at work so they're psychologically safe, where they people can give feedback of all sorts to their leaders, where it's um, more of a team rather than hierarchical. These are, are all really important aspects of inclusive leadership and more organisations 
are moving towards inclusive leadership models. Yeah. Yeah. So from research and, and from what we know about inclusive leadership, do you think there's maybe there's a difference between men and women or is it basically equally the same amount or the same preference of leadership? Yes, I haven't researched women in leadership to a great extent because I know that the area is just enormous. Yeah. Um, and so, and there was a lot of research out there and so I haven't wanted to tap into that. I get worried when researchers say that women have a particular leadership style yeah. and that women are more soft and cuddly and empathic because I think men can be like that as well and it yeah. worries me that that women are being pigeonholed into being soft and fluffy because they're women and they're quite often mothers and carers, whereas men seem to be the strong masculine leaders. So those stereotypes that attach to male and female leaders really worries me. I, I tend to think there probably isn't much difference between male and women leaders. And in terms of women looking after other women and mentoring women and you know not pulling the ladder up behind them, I think men, male leaders can be just as good at that as women can be. Yeah, so I think I think from the 80s and for 20 years, there was a real need to look at women in leadership from that lens and yeah. to value women's leadership styles. Now I think the conversation has changed towards inclusive leadership and how can uh, leaders of any gender ensure that they're getting the best from their staff and that their teams are performing well and that they're looked after. Yeah. So, again, it's the lens that we need to take. It's not a stereotypical or from our own biases, but rather being, you know, already open for um, advancing equality. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, and we still hear the, the stereotypes of women don't like to work with other women and all that kind of stuff and women can be nastier and, you know, and they, these are just old tropes and they do stem from biases. Yeah, and it's hard for people to, to change those biases, especially when they've been confirmed in particular settings, you know, but it is about being open, yeah, and thinking of different ways to do things. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, for Australia, we take a, a few steps forward, but there's still some work to be done in that space. Yes, that's right. You know, and and you look at the way women leaders are treated in Australia in the last, well, you know, since Julia Gillard, it's just, it's not been good. There's just horror story after horror story. Christine yeah. Holgate from Australia Post was treated dreadfully, you know, and these are powerful women really strong, powerful women. And so if they're getting that kind of treatment, how does, you know, a woman working on minimum wage who's being sexually harassed, what avenues does she have? Yeah. yeah. And so there is a long way to go. Yeah. Across the board, you're right. In terms of your own career, because you've transitioned at different stages of your career and taking different paths, What's some of the challenges that you faced in doing that? You, you mentioned that you are open to take risks, but how did you manage that? Some of it was planning yeah, and, and a lot of it was timing. Yes. So I've had three careers. The first change was pretty easy because I was young and I just moved cities and thought, okay, time for a new career, new town, new career, and that was pretty easy, you know, and I was for a long time but you know you're young and 
aren't young people always poor? So that's that was, you know, that was fine. Yes, but it does take a bit of planning. And so when I transitioned from the public service to academia, that was a five-year plan. And so I thought, okay, if I want to work in academia, I'm going to have to get a PhD. And that took me, oh, that took me seven years. And so it was a long-term, it was a long-term goal. And so it's that having that idea of where you want to end up in five or ten years, which can be really difficult for people, and then planning what do you need to do to get there and having those really small incremental steps and just breaking it down. And like doing a big project, anyone who does big big long-term projects, it's you need to just take it in bite-sized chunks and make sure you have the skills along the way and learn what you can, do whatever education, courses, et cetera, and break it down and just tackle it step by step. And the years go by really quickly and before you know it, yeah, you're in a different place. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great example. I mean, all those transitions, it's just good to have those examples for other women to tell uh, the stories of it's possible. You just have to, you know, take sometimes the leap of um, faith. and But also, like you said, also be very practical and have some structures or plans in place. Yes, that's right. You know, and a lot of, a lot of my students and our students, you know, working full time, they've got families. Yeah. And that can be really difficult. And a lot of students are looking for a career change and they want to work in human resource management, so they're taking my subjects. Yeah. Um, and they've got young families and they tell me that they're, they're studying early in the morning and after dinner when the kids are in bed. And it's it's not a great way to have to do it. It would be nice if work was restructured so that we didn't have to work such long hours and have to work five days a week. If people can work part-time, that's great, but a lot of people just can't afford to work part-time. And it's that big focus on needing to be in your workplace for long hours that can make it really difficult for people. And so, but I have seen lots and lots of people and and, um, myself worked long hours in, yeah, early mornings, late while I was working full time, yeah, have that change. So it does take it does take determination and commitment as well, which can be really difficult for women if they're looking after kids and they're taking the brunt of the housework and domestic and caring responsibilities. Yeah, and so yeah, and you know, as we're talking about, that's why you'll get women who will wait to make that change until they're a bit later in their careers when their kids are older and they've got a bit more time, you know, and yes, and that's why we're trying to change workplaces and society so men take an equal share of caring responsibilities all the way through so women don't have to wait until they're in their 40s and then think, right, I really want to go and do what I've always wanted to do, now is the time. So they can do it in their 20s if they have a partner that can share that load with them, share the opportunities, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's, it's really difficult when you think about having dependents um, like kids and a household maybe at certain stages of your life, but later on it's your parents that might become dependents. And so how to this almost in the middle sweet spot to make the most of that, and that's a very old-fashioned way to think about a, a career Yes, it is. It is. And and we've seen it changing very slowly. So women's labour force participation 
has started to even out. There was a big dip when women hit their um, 20s and 30s for child-rearing reasons, but we're starting to see that level out a bit and women are staying in the full-time workforce. But it also means that they're working full-time, looking after their kids, and then, as you say, they're looking after their parents and, yeah, elderly relatives, elderly in-laws. And so, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, systems aren't set up to help people look after older relatives and parents. The horror stories we hear in nursing homes, why would you want to put your parent in there, you know, but people don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. And so women end up doing the brunt of caring responsibilities. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's an important aspect as well that needs a lot more work in terms of the structures that could be put in place for men and women to, to navigate all these expectations and demands on our time and, and all of that in the future. Yes, that's right. And it comes down to women's support networks, you know, and cultures as well. So in white Western societies, the big focus on a nuclear family can make women feel really isolated and then they have to end up doing all of this. But you look at other cultures, you look at First Nations cultures, you know, and European cultures where they have extended families and they have those supports. And so it is a broader issue rather than workplaces and people say oh yes we'll get gender equality once society changes which is a nice idea but it's happening far too slowly yeah yeah well then it's great that you are doing all this research and and supporting also the next generation of thinking about their careers differently and creating this awareness and and educating everybody in different ways of thinking about things yeah, thanks, thanks. And, you know, the younger generation of women are doing such fantastic things and I think it's it's so good that women aren't being as polite, you know, and that old feminist song, Don't Be Too Polite Girls, that's been around for a long time, yeah. big in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, and now women are starting to believe it and, you know, women are saying, no, I'm not going to be so Grace Tame giving the Prime Minister the side eye was a really interesting phenomena. Women generally came out and said, yeah, you go for it. We're sick of being nice. And men generally were horrified saying, oh, that's so rude and impolite, you know. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But I think it's fantastic that women are finally saying they've had enough and they're not going to be nice about stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah, to feel empowered and you are doing a great job in helping them feel empowered with all the information that you are sending out there and sharing through your oh, research. Thanks. Just might be a last thought. If you had to think about the next generation of women coming through, you mentioned already that uh, young women might be thinking and, and maybe progressing things along on their own, you know, with having information and all of that. But if you had to Think about tips that if you started out today that you wish someone had told you that. What 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 were some of those gems that you would like to give to someone else? Yes. I would have told my younger self to hang in there, to to do what you want to do, even if you don't know where it's going to lead. Yes, because you don't know where a path will take you. And when I started studying women's studies. You know, who would have thought that women's studies would lead to a proper career? 
I certainly didn't. And so, yes, following your interests is really important. And it's difficult for young women where a lot of them will do degrees that they feel they have to do to get a job. And if that's the case, try and find your niche within that job where you can harness your passions or otherwise you'll need to do them outside. And so that's, that's yeah, I think really, really key. You don't know where you're going to end up. And the other thing, of course, is to surround yourself with good people, not just in terms of social support, but also in terms of your career as you go through to have that group of people that you can rely on for a really long time, yes, and hang on to those people. It's too easy to to lose good contacts over the years, but it's important to hang on to them so that you will have that support throughout your career and your life. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. And especially when you mentioned, you know, feeling isolated and lose those connections is so possible for women in remote and rural areas, you know, not having that everyday contact or interaction with others. And and even when you mentioned, you know, working from home and working more and more from home, not yeah. having those um, connections. Yes, well, that's right. And, you know, one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is to relate to each other virtually, which is a really good thing. And so especially for women in um, regional, rural and remote areas, that is a really good way of communicating. And women are using all sorts of different avenues. You know, all the social media avenues is fantastic and women are creating channels and making them their own. And so there's a whole, you know, new range of avenues where women can connect, which is just so much better than it was 50 years ago and in our mother's times yeah and for women on the land you know how their mum did it would have been pretty yeah. hard but for younger women yes there's more avenues and much better opportunities to to maintain connections with people oh, that's great thanks sue thanks so much for your time do you have any questions for me no, I think the, I think your podcast sounds fantastic and it's a really nice way of creating a sense of community amongst your audience and I hope it does really well. Oh, thank you, Sue. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.